It all comes back to sacrifice. Early to bed, early to rise. Isn't it something? Um, we don't do that over here, Kay. Man, what was I gonna say? Hit the snooze button. 100%. <laughs> I saw this thing on TikTok. <laughs> so it's a nice, clear, sunny, smokeless day, eh? Nasty out there, man. I wish it was weed. Wish it was weed smoke. It's funny, on my way here, I just pictured that, uh, or remembered that Rogan bit where he's like, trying to like solve all the world problems by like filling planes with like weed smoke and just crop duster planes just going over all the cities and just dumping marijuana smoke yeah. on them. <laughs> uh, Mushrooms, yeah. man. Psilocybin, that's the key to yeah. humanity. Yeah. Unless they say, I don't know if this is true or not, but if you get psilocybin smoke in your eyes, you can go blind. But I don't know if that's a myth. See, that was always something that we heard growing up is don't ever smoke mushrooms because you can go blind. Right. Yeah. I wonder if that's true. I don't know, man. Or if it's just like parents trying to get their kids not to do mushrooms. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I've it's never like, heard of anybody trying to smoke psilocybin. It's like when parents were like, don't make that face too long. It'll stay there. Yeah. Like, no, you just want to like not, you want to look proper in public and not have your kid making faces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Um, um, yeah. I don't remember it being this bad. Like a few years ago, it was this bad, the smoke in the air, but um, it's weird how it's just kind of become a new thing like when we were kids i don't ever remember it being smoky in me neither uh, me neither i wonder if there's like you know if there's like cycles that the world just kind of goes through where it just gets like warmer like even as far as dryness goes like the river is incredibly low right now mm -hmm. you know so like with the lack of water and this extreme heat mm -hmm. like there's no wonder there's i think hundreds of forest fighters fires in saskatchewan right now yeah and do you know what that's I at least like to hear, and I haven't looked into it, I don't know if all of them are this way, but I at least like to hear that some of them were started, I don't like to hear, but started by lightning mm. and then the dry weather, you know? So it, that's at least better than, oh, some kid, some people flick cigarettes right. out or somebody, you know, started a fire on purpose, you know? Right. Did, did you know, I, I, man, I'm just, I feel like we've talked about this before, but uh, it's actually a, a thing that I believe pine trees do naturally. It's like, a, it's how they regrow. So eventually like all the needles will fall and then they, I don't know if it's like, yeah, I don't know if it's like lightning or just the heat alone will spark it, but then it burns and then they can regrow. So it's actually a natural cycle that they do. There, there is some truth to that and it's, it kind of acts as like a fertilizer, you know, I've yeah. seen some stuff on it and I know there's truth to it cause I said it. So yeah. <laughs> But it, it, it has to be some natural cycle, you know, if it's yeah. lightning caused and like drought, right. it, yeah. but yeah, it's kind of shitty to deal with, but that's, it, it's crazy. Eh? Like sometimes when you like, you think about the ocean being on fire with the, the, the oil spill, you think yeah. about all the forest fires, like pandemic, you're just like, man, what else is there? It's a real test to your stoicism to be like, Hey, these are things I can't control. Like I'm not going to let it ruin my day from yeah. fear and anxiety. Yeah, those are some of the scariest videos I've ever seen of like the forest fires that were going on in California. Oh, and they would show like a dash cam, like a vehicle ripping through it. Like like maybe they got caught somewhere. And so now they're trying to escape. And you, the visibility's bad. It's super hot. Your your tires start getting like like almost melting. Ugh. Like those are scary. Burning alive versus drowning. It literally looks like they're driving through hell. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's like hell on earth and you're driving, you know, driving through it. And there's little parts where you lose all visibility and then it kind of clears up again for a second. And it's like, you're just kind of praying there's nothing there that you're going to hit. Really scary, oh, man. man. When mother nature, like it's one thing when humans do something, when mother nature likes, has like a tsunami, yeah, forest fires, earthquakes, like that is so scary to me. That was one of the freakiest video is watching that um tsunami in japan Ooh. just like wipe away buildings the um, alarm that went off was almost the scariest thing like they had like that it was like wah, wah, that's scary shit wah. You, you wake up to that and it's just like you know that that means like natural disaster or tsunami yeah. or something fucking scary and, and that reminds us when you and i were in australia we had this cyclone yazzie that came through yeah and i remember they were comparing it to hurricane katrina at the time and we were literally on the east coast, right on the coast of Australia, and this this big cyclone, which is kind of like a hurricane, was coming towards us. And I, I can totally remember we were like standing outside of our hostel, and there's like the McDonald's right there. Yeah. And um, 
we find out they're closing our hostel down because they're just kind of like not boarding up, but they're kind of just evacuating, evacuating. Yeah. And people were leaving Airlie beach where we were evacuating the town. And we're looking at the front page of the paper. It's on there. It's coming right for us like tomorrow. And I just remember standing there and being like, fuck, <laughs> like, I hope, I hope this isn't too bad. You know? Yeah. Like a life being a game of choices and like right in those situations, like you really have to make a decision. Yeah. Like, are you going to stay there? Like a lot of locals did and you guys did end up staying there. We were like a mile in off the coast. We moved, we just found this rental in time. Beautiful it was like a place. solid brick house. The guy's like, Hey, I'm going to Turkey for work. You guys can watch my house. I have a deep freeze full of deep freeze full of food. If the power goes out, it was just, it was like an angel in the perfect amount of time. But it was still sketchy being that close to the coast. Oh, yeah. Because you don't know how bad it's going to be. If it's something like Hurricane Katrina, you're getting flooded. Oh, man. You know, like you, you even if you're a mile in. Um, and Bob and I decided to get the hell out of there. Yeah, you drove up to, it starts with a B? Bunderberg. Bunderberg. That's B- Bundaberg. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe that's a different accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've completely lost my Australian accent. I yeah. used to be able to do it when, like, you know, you hear it all the time. You can mimic and, like, say full sentences, but now it's gone. Hello, mate. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> Fair dinkum. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bob and I decided to get out of there. So we rented a little car. And I remember him and I were kind of like in a bit of a panic, like running to pack our shit and get out of there. And we ran past like three girls sitting there and you could tell they were stressing out like they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so we were like, it was like kind of desperate times. We weren't even trying to like pick up chicks. We're like, hey, do you guys like need to get the fuck out of here? Like we're leaving today. Yeah. Like we just rented a car. So they, three random girls ended up piling in this Perfect. tiny little like Toyota Yaris type car, like a small car. Yeah. And we just drove up to Bunderberg. That's right. I totally yeah. remember you mentioning that. And so this, it was a tsunami or hurricane? Hurricane. Well, it, they called it a cyclone. Oh, I don't man. know the difference between a hurricane and a cyclone. Me neither. But I, like anyways. A, sounds like a tornado. Yeah. Of some sort. I think like a tornado that comes from the ocean and it brings like hurricane type gusts and stuff <laughs> coming from the meteorologist. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah. But it, it kind of missed where we were, which yeah. is Airlie Beach. It, it, it yeah, it didn't hit, get hit too hard, but apparently it wiped out 80% of the banana fields in Australia, which is huge. It's a big part of their, their, I don't know, economy or something. Like, and oh yeah, and that's why bananas went up in price. We stopped buying bananas. Yeah. Cause it's like it, ridiculous. They went from like, yeah, like your typical $3 and 50 cents to $4, like a bundle. Dude, they were like 13 to $15 for a bundle yeah. after that. Yeah. I so yeah, I just stopping. stopped eating, you know, it was the day it was like the day it was supposed to hit. It just started breezing like high up North. So I remember we didn't even have a power outage where we were and mm, we were preparing wow. all this shit. Oh, shit. The week before there was like a minor cyclone that didn't even hit the news. And that was the one when we were in Magnum's hostel. Right. And the power was out That's and right. I got bed bugs and there was like, you know, parts of trees laying down. Like that was pretty bad. Mm. But after Airlie Beach, we, we went up north to Cairns, I believe. Cairns. Yeah. And uh, we drove by like a lot of the trees. Um, by the coast where this cyclone hit and they were like diagonal they were mm. all diagonal these trees it was pretty crazy that's the scary thing with living on the coast eh yeah. beautiful to live there and wake up to the ocean the breeze scenery even like the people seem like they would maybe be more chill because they're just constantly in a beautiful yeah. environment it's like in the mountains right but every now and then you get hit with something like that that can just tear your whole life and history apart just take your whole house away like that um the tsunami in Japan. Exactly. Like you, you see it kind of come over the bridge thing and then it just takes buildings. Like you see the buildings kind of sitting there at first and all of a sudden just goes like, Choo! you just see them get knocked off their foundation and just start floating down this stream of water. That's never ending. It is driving force. The energy, the power of the ocean is scary shit. Unreal. So scary. You know, it's almost like when you go in a, place you're unfamiliar with in the ocean and you're swimming like 10 feet out and the wave the tide kind of sucks back and it's like pulling you out and that's a freaky feeling man yeah man no word of a lie i went to cranberry flats yesterday it was super hot okay i always take not always but i try to take layla there quite often and i'm in the water kind of swimming and I, I start panicking about like sea creatures really? <laughs> yeah like i started like kind of like freaking myself out being like man what if like a like, like I've seen those photos and videos of like 400 pound sturgeons. Yeah. I don't want that thing to hit my leg. I don't want it to bite my Achilles. 
like I just started like kind of freaking out. So I'm like, I'm getting out of the water and I started throwing the stick for Layla to go after it. But yeah, it was scary. It's man. a scary feeling when you're floating, even in a lake and you're yeah. just like, you can't obviously touch the ground and you're like, what the hell's under me? I have like a, I have that, you know, when you're running up the stairs and you always feel like someone's behind you, yeah. I get that type of feeling when I'm in water. Yeah. I'll be in Harry Bailey pool and every now and then oh, I'll yeah. panic. Like there's a shark under huh. me. I'm in like yeah. a chlorine pool with like a bunch of, there's like kids around and I'm like this adult just freaking the fuck out, just getting out of the pool. That's a dangerous thing. Panic when you're in a water situation. Yeah. That's, that's a dangerous thing. <laughs> um, this is kind of off topic, but it's funny. Hey, like we, we started this podcast and you're like, yeah, like, you know, it'd be cool if, if people like listen to it. Like that's the, the intention of a podcast. Like you want people to listen to it. You post a nice photo. You want people to like see it and be like, oh, that's a nice photo. <laughs> so yesterday someone at the gym was like, Hey, like I'm all caught up on your, your podcast episodes and like immediately I just get uncomfortable and want to crawl out of my own skin. <laughs> but For sure. It's funny though. Hey, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you want like a good podcast. You want people to listen to it and be entertained. And then as soon as they tell you in person that they listen to it, you're like, stop listening to it. <laughs> Dude, totally. What the fuck is I that? I hear people listen. I'm like, oh, don't listen. Yeah. But it's like what we want people to listen right. to. Right. Someone so will funny. send you like a nice message on Instagram. They're like, hey, like I really enjoyed episode whatever, 11. And you're like, stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> like shit we actually put this out and right. it just makes you uncomfortable that is funny eh and i think it's just like for one you just don't remember everything you said like yeah. we've we're on episode 19 now yeah. so it's like that's you know 19 hours of of talking yeah, shit intense, almost a day yeah that's pretty crazy that's a long time to say dumb <laughs> things you know and so like yeah i think just the vulnerability of it where somebody almost like knows you more than they than you know them Yes. It's yeah. like Joe Rogan, for example. Everybody feels like they know him well. And so when they come up to him in person, like it's probably kind of weird for him to see these people be like, man, like, you know, like the episode of this has changed my life. Like They I know just, what he eats for supper. They know what kind of whiskey he yeah. likes. They know what kind of music he listens to. Right. They know about his trip last month. Yeah. It's wild, man. That is it's an interesting, interesting dynamic, okay? <laughs> yeah. It, um, so I started training again this week, obviously, because I trained with you last night. Um, mm. fuck, it feels good to be back, bro. Hell yeah. Just one day of jujitsu and one day of uh, kickboxing. But and how's it feeling today? I, I feel good. Like nothing sketchy with my foot whatsoever, which is great. And it's literally like 12 weeks from foot fracture. So under three months, you know, I'm close. I feel like I'm close to hundred mm. percent. I feel like next week, you know, probably be cautious again and, and move, you know, the week after I feel like I'll almost be ready to go full bore, man. Nice. Like it's, you know, nice. um, but what you mentioned about jujitsu, after one day of drilling, my neck is is sore, and I think it was just warm ups when we do this like shoulder neck kind of roll. Mm. I, there was one where I leaned too far one way and I felt like the crunch, you know. Uh, yeah. But my neck hurts and, <laughs> um, from kickboxing yesterday. As I mentioned, my forearms are just starting to get sore now oh. from last night. From punching from, or catching, do you think? From making contact with punches. Yeah. 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 Yeah, just it, it takes the body a while to adjust to impact, hey? Yeah. Even for wrestling, like you can be in wrestling shape, you know, and f like I got extra sore because we took so much time off. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you kind of like, yeah, your your wrists get used to making impact, your elbows, your shoulders, even like for catching and holding. Yeah. Like at first, it just feels like your body got ran over and then over time, you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm used to, to this now. It's like when you go for that first run of the year, you know, your groin is sore, your shins are sore. After a week or two, you, you're fine. You can run twice as long and you're fine. Or if you go snowboarding for the first time a year, you're so sore. Yeah. Or, or golf, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever. Not golf. That's just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually went for a run last Sunday. Nice. I went for a, a, maybe just under five kilometers. Nice. And I, I'm just today, I think, is the first day that I'm not super sore. Really? Yeah. 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 And it was a pretty chill run. Yeah. The last kilometer, I went backwards. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, that I think knees, that's good for you. Yeah, that knees over toes, guys, is really big on that. And uh, uh, I know Prince has been doing this, but he—if you have like a treadmill, like even just at the gym or yeah. whatever—you just put your back end against like where your hands would normally be, and you just walk backwards with the machine turned off, and you just have oh. that natural resistance. And so you're kind of just yeah, pushing yeah. against it, you know. But yeah, it's supposed to. It's almost like reminds me of like fighting. 
in southpaw. Like if you're if you've been ortho your whole life, yeah. Or if a pitcher throws with his right hand his yeah, whole life, makes sense, right? You're gonna get imbalances. Like you're gonna be super dominant, like a really strong right hip, a really strong right shoulder, but maybe frail on the other side. So I think switching it can help balance out and, and possibly prevent injury. It can correct you. Yeah, I, I've heard of it, people correcting like hip issues from that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That knees over, speaking of knees over toes, he got a big shout out on Joe Rogan and that, uh, Andrew Huberman. I I sent uh, him a message, Ben, the knees over toes guy. And I told him that I said, I said what time it started and everything. He's like, fuck yeah. He's like, thanks for letting me know. Oh really? Yeah. You guys are like best friends now or whatever. Yeah. I showed him a lot of stuff that he knows. (laughs) That's, that's sweet. It's always (laughs) cool when you get a response from somebody like that. For sure. But it's funny with uh, training, you know, it's when the pandemic hits and the, the gym closed, you know, you're used to training every day and then, you know, obviously you're going to do alternative things, but you initially think, okay, I'm going to have all this extra time now because I'm not training. And then next thing you know, you don't have any more time in a day. You just automatically fill it with, you know, business activities or whatever. Yeah. And then by the time you're ready to train again, like after an injury or after the pandemic, you're, it's, it's almost like stressful. It's like, well, how am I going to make time now? Like I have no time right now right. anymore, but it's one of those things where you just, you just make time for the things that are important to you yeah. and everything else molds around it. Yeah. And you could argue that it might even free up time because you're draining the battery and having a clear mind, you know, and it's like, you're, you're almost getting that nice little release. So maybe it would like help you be more efficient or just like, you know, a little bit more calm throughout the day. So you're not just like a wired, you know, battery that's full, just yeah. moving in and out of your day. Just like, yeah. you know, you get that little like hour or two hour break of just like physical and mental break. Yeah, for sure. So I wonder if over time it would just, it would almost like enhance productivity. Yeah, I could see that because, you know, it probably cuts the, some of the slack from your day because if you're not training or, and, and stuff like that, you might think you're being productive in certain areas, but there's probably a little bit of, little bit of fat around the edges that you're just kind of not being productive. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's like um, Aaron and I were talking yesterday and it's nice that we have each other and anybody that has someone who like they just feel super like safe with that they could just talk about anything. Mm-hmm. It's like um, we were just talking about how it just feels good to be able to talk about some heavier shit that you wouldn't maybe post on social media or just talk to anybody about, you know, like the whole, you know, maybe the, the COVID thing and your viewpoints on it. Mm-hmm. But we were just saying how like it's really tough to move forward and to to try to better yourself and work on yourself and just just live basically without kind of dealing with some of that shit like this is pretty heavy and it affects everybody so it is nice every now and then like we don't do it every time but sometimes you just have to like you know talk about that shit even if you don't solve it you feel good and then you can almost move forward but yeah last night we kind of got into it a little bit and it was just nice nice to chat about it and i was like i feel good off your chest get it off your chest yeah Yeah, because sometimes like you'll see something you want to like repost or you want to comment or you want to but i just i don't like doing that online too much so to have that outlet it just feels nice to like deal with it and not bottle it up or, or ignore it or push it down and then you can like genuinely move forward and feel comfortable enough to open up about it with somebody that you trust who yeah. isn't going to judge you. Yeah, because that was the other thing we talked about was like, I wonder how many people during this pandemic lost friends or family because of their viewpoints on it. Yeah. Whether it's pro-lockdown or anti-lockdown or pro-vax, anti-vax, you know, like you just stating your opinion or you sharing your you know, your ideas or thoughts on it. A lot of people lost friends. Like I know personal people that, yeah, it's like their, their family is, it's a little bit in turmoil now. Their, their friends have like unfollowed them or just stopped talking to them. It's wild. It's unfortunate. It is. It really is. Yeah. It's, um, (laughs) speaking of that, how talking is a nice release, you know, opening up to somebody like that. Journaling is as well. And I seen you made a post this week about, um, reading some of your old journal entries. Yeah. How old were you when you started journaling? That, that post that I read was in 2011. Um, so I was, I was 22, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I, I would, I bet that I probably started when I was like 21. I bet like maybe a year before that. You bought me my first journal for my 25th birthday. So that's when I started writing. Oh, no it was way. seven, just over seven years ago. Now. Huh. I bought Aaron a journal and my mom a journal. That's funny. That's a good <laughs> gift, man. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's something that I don't think I'll ever stop doing now. Mm. You know, it's like you said, it's kind of like venting, you know, whether it's good or bad, when you can kind of just take that time to yourself to be present and get your thoughts and emotions out on paper, you feel lighter after. Yeah. 
you know, somebody asked me because they saw that post on my Instagram and they were like, what sparked you to journal at that age? Mm. Like she was like, that's pretty rare. Yeah. I, you know, I would think for a 21 year old to just like start writing, you know, pen to paper, putting their thoughts on paper. Mm -hmm. And I was like, honestly, I don't really recall the exact moment of inspiration. That was like, I'm going to start journaling. Mm. I'm going to go buy a journal and start writing in it. But then I was like, was, was YouTube or yeah, YouTube was around then. Hey, like, yes. Um, I would imagine because I was listening to Joe Rogan and I know you were very early on as well, but like, I remember listening to him just from day one, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine, I bet it was something from him or Elliot Hulse that I heard, like one of these guys maybe sharing something like the power of journaling. Yeah, 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 I could see that. So I think early on I was like seeking to better myself in yeah. some way. Like I knew I just wanted to do something better. And so I was probably exploring YouTube and then I probably heard it from someone that I looked up to and was like, all right, I'm going to start journaling. But it was cool because like, yeah, you know, in the, in, in the, the video and in the journal entry when I was 22, it was like, um, always be reading a book, you know, try to enjoy yourself without spending a fortune, mm -hmm. you know, um, something like, you know, live your life. Your time is short here. Something like that. Yeah. You know, there was like a few kind of like just basic things, but it was just funny. You could tell my 22 year old brain was like you need to work on this stuff. Yeah. And it took a long time. It's not like just cause I wrote it down, it was fixed. Yeah. You know, I had to like trip and fall a dozen times, thousands of times. Do you still have all of your journals or do you, did you misplace um, them? I'm sure there's maybe like one that's been misplaced or thrown out or something, but I, I yeah, I got a good stack. Um, yeah. That's another thing I like about it. Not only like the satisfaction of quote unquote venting, but I, I always thought it would be cool when I'm like 50 years old to read, you know, the thoughts when I was 26, writing these things down on a Saturday morning, you know, because, um, it's pretty personal. Like I, I don't hold back in there. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I might have to burn them all <laughs> yeah. because if yeah. I die and somebody reads them, I, they're not meant to be read from anybody but me. <laughs> it's funny, hey, when the government comes to get everybody and lock us in jail, it's yeah. like you're going to go straight to your journals and just set them aflame. <laughs> oh, man. And do you know what? Just like, you know, there, there's a lot of good things in there that would be okay to read. And there's nothing like sinister. Like I don't have like a hit list or anything. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of like very personal thoughts and like very personal experiences that, you know, yeah. you don't want anybody to read. Or that... Uh, <laughs> Paper has far more patience than people, you know, mm. and so a lot of people that don't, I made that up. No, that was uh, uh, Anne Frank. So Some would I, say paper has all the patience. Yeah. As long yeah. as you have enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Anne Frank was a survivor of the Holocaust, I believe. She was young, like a teenage girl, maybe. But she was like hiding in like an attic somewhere. Yes. And she, she happened to have a journal. And so she just wrote a lot. But um, during that time, just like this time, you got to be careful what you say. You know, so she didn't want to express a lot of her ideas and opinions mm. to people. She would rather put it on paper because yeah. it has patience. It will listen. Yeah. Other people might call the Nazis on you. And now all of a sudden you're in prison camp. So she would just write and write and write, you know, and just put her thoughts on paper. So, yeah, like I, that was like a powerful thing for me, too, especially during this time. You know, a lot of us probably have a lot of bottled up shit. And I think a lot of people would probably be happier and do less damage to the world if they put it on paper instead of an Instagram comment. It's just like when you said, you know, Abraham Lincoln or whoever wrote all those letters, angry letters and never sent them. Right. Exactly. It was a release for him. And, that's right. And that's what I think journaling is about is writing with the intent that nobody's ever going to read it. Like mm -hmm. no holding back, you know, like don't write it as if somebody else is reading it. Right. Like just open the hell up. Yeah. That was uh, Marcus Aurelius when you get like his, his meditations, like that was his journal. He would, it was an yeah. intended to be like read by the right world. Here. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. There we go. But it's funny. Low key. It probably was. He probably like right before he died, he's like, Hey, like just, this is my journal, but like just publish it and like put it to the yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, like I want to be like, I want my legacy to last forever. And yeah. I got some wisdom in here. And there, there's certain things you might write where you're like, you know, this, this would be good if someone ever did read this, you know? Right. And then there's other parts where you're like, Oh no, like this page is being ripped out of here. <laughs> when you die, do you think you're going to like leave it behind in a box? Like, and then your kids will just go through it one day. They're like, man, grandpa was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I think I'm going to do i think when i'm older i'll probably start from the because usually what i do is when i finish a journal i'll kind of like read through it over the next month you know like just 
read a few pages a day and then and then I'll kind of like put it away for good. Hmm. Um, I, I think I'll when I'm older, I'll probably read through all of them again. <laughs> I don't know, man. I might have to like rip some certain pages out. <laughs> I might have to throw a journal or two away. But I'll probably just like leave them. I don't know if I'll like intentionally leave them for somebody, but right. they'll, they'll be found when people are going through my shit. It's a time machine journals really yeah man you know like you get to tap into your younger self yeah. and sometimes it's hard to like know where your head was at when you're even even being 32 and reading that where i was at in 22 when i was 22 so imagine when you're 70 or 80 just flipping through the pages you know and you're like maybe you have like alzheimer's and you can't like remember that much but then you read it and maybe every now and then you're like oh fuck like i i recall that you know, it puts you right yes, back into that moment. Exactly. Especially it's nice when you date it. Exactly. And, you, and sometimes I'll explain the set and setting before I write. It's like, exactly a, you know, it's like, saying. yeah, July 10th, whatever, 5 a.m. I'm like sitting in the van. It's smoky outside. You know, Aaron's laying next to me. Layla's laying on the gravel. And then you just start writing. Yeah. So then it gives you that vision and you're like, oh, shit. Like, I remember when I used to park behind the gym. Yeah. You know? For sure, man. And that's why I love bringing a journal traveling. Like, mm. I always write on the plane. I always, you know, maybe in an airport, like go to a coffee shop when you're somewhere and like, right. it definitely brings you back, man. It's super cool. Huh. It's funny. One of just one of those like old ancient tools is that has been around forever. Yeah. You know, it's a great practice. Yeah. Something about putting pen to paper, even with goals and stuff, you know, yeah. it's like you, it depends what your intent is with writing, but it's like, you can kind of like start to solidify and I don't want to use the word manifest, but solidify something more once yeah. you put it to paper you know yeah life seems to be more fun or purposeful when you maybe have and goals can change but if you have like a goal that you wrote down and then you your actions are kind of intended to reach that goal at one point so then your actions have a little bit more meaning and purpose as opposed to just if you had nothing and you're just like one minute at a time you yeah know, no, nothing's really formulating so it is kind of nice to have like a goal and then, yeah, obviously it, it can change. But I remember Logan Paul um, was talking about that, you know, like with his fight with Floyd Mayweather, like a lot of people mocked it and stuff. But in, like in his mind, he truly believed that he could get his attention and, and put on this super fight and make millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. But it started with like that little seed that he planted in his own head. He believed it. He started tweeting and, you know, lo and behold, <laughs> these fucking YouTubers fighting the greatest boxer ever for millions. Okay, you kind of led right into this. This is something I was thinking about recently with, with regards to goals. I think it's, 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 my opinion is it's important to have a goal, but I think the fear of an ultimate goal is what holds a lot of people back from doing things. I think it's super important to jump into something when you're not ready with faith that you will become the person who is ready in the process by the time you're closer to that goal. Mm. And here's an example, just watching you do it, for example. When you sign a fight, you're not mentally ready yet. You're not physically ready yet. Right. But you sign a fight, even though that's a daunting goal in the future, you focus on the step-by-step -step process, the day-to-day -day process. So you sign that fight for eight weeks. It's like, oh shit. If I think about that, even though it's the goal, it's scary as hell. Right. So here's what I'm gonna do today, it's Thursday. I'm gonna train with Kurt MMA at noon. I'm gonna do BMT tonight, kickboxing, and I'm gonna start to eat a little cleaner. You get through that day, mission complete, micro goal accomplished. Yeah. Friday, what am I gonna do today? I'm gonna do another MMA class. I'm gonna watch a bit of tape and I'm gonna continue to eat clean and maybe I'm gonna go for a run. That day is complete, next day, you know? And by the time it's six and a half weeks, seven weeks, you are a prize fighter. You look more like a professional fighter. You right. talk and move more like a professional fighter. and. By the time it's the day before, you're literally ready to go in there and fucking fight somebody. Right. You know, you're like, I'm excited to go and throw up some fists. Yeah. And you have faith in who you will become through the process. And, and, and through that type of mindset, you're not daunted by the end goal and you will you will accomplish things and right. you will do things, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, like even to take it like a, like, push the goal back even further as to why someone would fight. Cause yeah, it's like when you sign a fight, it can be overwhelming and you can lose momentum if you think about the fight itself. But if you think about day by day, it's a little easier to gain momentum. Like you said, I'm just gonna, what do I need to do on Monday? I need to eat clean, I need to show up to this training, I'm gonna do this stretching routine, cool, day's done, now Tuesday. But to push it back 
even further, like if you think about like, I want to start my own dojo one day, I want a black belt and I want to be able to run my own, my own gym to do that. I wanted experience. So because I had this long-term goal, I'm willing to get in a cage with someone or a ring with someone and, and fight and get the real experience. When somebody asks me something, I want to be like, oh, like I know about this because like I almost got my head taken off by that strike. So I can share like a real experience, you know? So it's that, that's why I think when you have like a bigger goal, um, you know, whatever, five, 10 year goal, your, your actions will lead to that or at least get closer to that yeah so you won't have to second guess like oh, i don't want to fight well do you want to have experience exactly do you want to train other fighters then then perhaps you should do this it gives everything clarity you right. reverse engineer from your goal back to today and the steps that you need to take become very clear and it makes things easier yeah you know and it's it's like that 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 saying you hear you know a, a true entrepreneur will jump off a cliff and then figure out how to build a parachute on the way down. You know, it's like you have to jump into things when you're not ready if you want to accomplish these things right. because you'll never just be ready to fight the day you sign a contract never. necessarily. And it's like, let's say I want to be a millionaire. If I just think about that, oh shit, how the hell am I going to get a million dollars? But if I think, okay, maybe this is a 10-year goal. Tomorrow I'm going to make this many calls. I'm going to invest this money. I'm going to save this money and I'm going to read this book. Mission complete. Tomorrow what am I going to do? Next thing you know, two, three, four, five years go by, you know, so it's, you can make any type of analogy, but it's this, yeah. this same principle. It's interesting. eh? like, what do you think is the, the time where you jumped off the cliff and learned how to fly the most? You think it was real estate? Cause that kind of came out of nowhere for you. It was a pretty quick trigger you pulled, you know, you kind of have to go through the schooling process, but, um, it, it might have been one of the things that made it easier is having a mentor because, mm -hmm. you know, it's like I got to watch and model how somebody else successful did business uh, and they were willing to help me so that, you know, I felt a little bit less like I need to like, you know, build this parachute on my own because of that. Um, I don't know. I might need to think about that a little mm -hmm. more. Yeah. It's interesting. You're just talking about like, you know, mentorship. Um, I was re you got something to say? I do. Here's an example. Building a house. You know, mm -hmm. I, okay, I'm going to build a house. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to do this, but I do know the first step is to buy a lot. And then the next step is to get it surveyed. And, you know, one of the initial steps is to get, uh, you know, a, a building financing approved, you know, and then I know the next step is to, to, con to you know, connect with a concrete person and, and connect with a framer and, you know, start this checklist, you know, so it's like, it's scary as hell. It's like, how am I going to build a house on this young punk ass kid? Right. And when you say build a house, general contractor, right? House. Yeah. I'm not lifting a hammer. Cause yeah, I come yeah. from like a family of framers. So <laughs> yeah. I hear build a house. I picture like you swinging a hammer and like putting flooring up, roofing, walking through trusses. When I say I built a house, I mean, I pulled up in my clean BMW, made some phone calls and made some emails, but yeah, but still it can be overwhelming to, if you, if you thought about all of those at once. Well, exactly. And it's, and it's the, the money, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to put out this amount, much amount of money. Right. And in order to get this plus hopefully some back, I need to go through this six month process and like everything needs to go correct. Right. So even though it's like the physical process isn't there, like the, the risk is there and the, mm. the uncertainty and the, you know, what the hell am I doing? But you learn as you go along, right. you know, you take it one day at a time, you know, that's that. And it's so huge to have a mentor for that sort of thing. And reading about Bruce Lee in this book that I'm, I'm reading, he was, you know, the, the quote came up where it was like, um, if you see the Buddha, kill him. And so Bruce Lee was very against like forms and structure and authority. But that, I was kind of thinking about it. And he, they haven't touched on it in the book yet. But, you know, like when he was teaching his students, he never wanted him to come off as like the, the teacher or the guide or the master, or, like mm -hmm. anyone to be glorified or like these people like would worship him as this instructor. But I wonder, like you always hear once you, you know, you're, you're this student and then once you're, you're always a student, but then once you get your black belt, you almost have to reinvent yourself. So it's like, you almost need structure and you need discipline and r rigid forms first. And then you can sprinkle in your own flavor, you know, and, and he was like really against, um, you know, just the, the traditional martial arts where there was a hierarchy in the belt rankings. But like, it's almost like, um, 
I remember this one coach, I think it was GSP's coach. Um, the guy came up to him and was like, hey coach, I, I like to fight with my hands down. And then the guy was like, prove it to me then, show me in sparring. So like, we always tell people to keep their hands up. So we're giving them this structure. Like you have to follow these rules. But once you get good enough and you start to spar, and if you prove that your formlessness and your own expression is better than maybe what we taught you, then then yes, then you can use it. But for now, you follow suit, you know? And so I thought that was like a fascinating, I, I've been trying to think about that. So like, you know, when you're, when you become a black belt, maybe that's your time to truly take on what Bruce Lee was getting at. Like remove all authority and forms and almost create your own thing based on all the years of knowledge and experience that you have. Now it's your time to create your, your, your own thing. Like, like Kurt, like he, he got obviously very good at wrestling. He, he did jujitsu, got super obsessed with Bang Muay Thai, got his black belt. And now you see him starting to put it all together in his own way. He's using his phenomenal wrestling background with his black belt and bang Muay Thai and, and combining it all and doing MMA classes. You know, you're almost seeing him like create his own thing in a way, mm -hmm. you know, I thought that was cool. You, you have to like earn, earn the right to start to do that, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And then I, I was kind of talking to Scott from the 6am class about it. And he brought up something cool. He's like, martial arts is kind of like military discipline with like religion, like self-exploration in it. Like it's a deep thing for somebody to say at 6am. Yeah, Scott's a pretty deep dude, man. Sometimes I'll say something, he'll just drop like some kind of powerful message. Yeah. I'm like, all right, that's funny. <laughs> I'll get you on that one for a while. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was interesting because it's true. It is, there's a military aspect to it. Can you, you know? say it again? It, martial arts is like a military. It's like um, the religious. Yeah, like the discipline of military with like the self-exploration of like religion mm -hmm. where it's like you're you're getting this deep internal work because you're you're getting pushed so much so you really have to kind of like put your ego aside and and go down this this really difficult path and you can almost blossom into someone better than you were before you started yeah so you almost get like a lot of like strong character and all these strong benefits from it that maybe a, a religion could do but with the rigid discipline of a military mm -hmm. you know? yeah there's like ultimate freedom of expression but there's like rigid discipline like you said yeah and that's that's where it's fun when you like maybe roll in jujitsu or spar and kickboxing or, yeah. or do the mma sparring where it's like yeah we're doing these set patterns like the holland or like you know this is how we're going to do the arm bar today but then when you're rolling you might get there because you're just free rolling. It's like freedom of expression. Like if, like I do that when I do jujitsu all the time, when I do jujitsu, like I just do shit that I've never been taught, but I feel it. I yeah. see something and I'll just start like pretzeling my way over there and bending in weird ways to try to get something, yeah. you know? So it's like, then you get that, that freedom of expression. Yeah. What, what was the hardest, can you recall like the hardest moment in in like all of your like martial arts career call it whether it was like in a fight or whether it was like training like um like maybe it was like a moment of exhaustion or or is it like the time you've had like your hardest fights when you're getting like beat up and exhausted um the pr like probably fight camps so not that's what i was curious about is it the fight or is it because there's some challenging times where you got to dig deep in training i i think fight camps by far like i was trying to think about the fights but you're you're not always you're not thinking that way you're not thinking about the future in a fight so you're not fearful like you're not you're not filled with anxiety you're you're very it's very challenging but you're so present and dialed in that it, you're not thinking that way whereas in a fight camp you're very methodical still. So you're thinking about the future mm -hmm. and you might even be thinking about the past, some of your past losses and the fear that you had going into the fight. You're fearing the future because you're like, I don't want to get knocked out in front of people while redlining your body and pushing yourself. So you have like the whole, uh, physical and mental, um, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to say resistance, but the challenges, you mm -hmm. know, your, your, your body's getting banged up. Your mind is stressing out for two months. Mm -hmm. so the the fights i don't think that was the hardest part I, I think it was always fight camps that were the hardest yeah that like i can't think of anything besides like war that would be more mentally straining than like preparing for a fight you know like yeah it's it, it, it's a heavy conscience it's a it'd be difficult for most probably to manage that in, in like a good good way you know 
It's tough. Yeah. I mean, like war would be another level. Like, could you imagine just like kissing your wife on the forehead and saying bye to your kids and like legitimately like suiting up to go somewhere that is like, you know, you're like legitimately going to war. You're not just like going to like to a base, you know, and like, you know, maybe something will happen. It's like, no, you're going to war. You might not come back. Yeah. Fucking scary, man. It's funny because I feel like we're in, in our prime, but I wonder if there was another war, if we would get called to war because we're like considered like old. Yeah, we're not even, we're, we're too old for the draft. If yeah. a draft happened, we, like, I feel like super prime other than my bad vision. That's maybe my out. I remember I when. fucking see. Yeah. I remember um, this, like that old Eminem song where he's like, I'm 28. They're going to take you for the take right. me. It's like, he's 28 and like, they're picking the, you know, like 19 18, to, 19, you know, yeah. 22 year olds. It's wild. It's man. like, you're just old balls. You know, it's kind of interesting. I, it's funny. Sometimes you say shit and you're like, I said that. That's pretty good. John Dalton, we're uh, in the change room and he was like, because he, you know, he was, he's got a fight coming up and he's, you know, he trains hard. He's a hardworking guy. Um, and uh, I think he was overtraining and he was admitting to this. And I, I think Kurt kind of talked about it, about it a little bit. And um, he said something that I said to him a while ago. And he said that you told me that it takes a lot of balls to be able to take days off during fight camp. And I was like, really? Mm. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, I never remember saying that. But I, it. so a lot of the times if you have a fight camp and you take a day off, your, your brain will say, oh, you're a pussy. Your opponent's not taking a day off. He's probably training five hours a day. And he's going to beat you if you take this day off. When in reality, your body needs the break, your mind needs the break, you'll perform better, you know, recovery is just as important as, as training. That does take balls and it takes strength because it shows that you have to, that really shows your confidence in yourself, you yeah. know, and it shows your belief in yourself. And your intelligence. And your intelligence. You yeah. know, like, cause I, I think like there was like maybe a, like his weight dropping plateaued. And so Kurt was like, you might be overtrained. So your body's like in starvation mode, maybe hanging on to anything it can. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then you took a couple of days off and it seems to be coming down again. Interesting. It's like you find that equilibrium or that balance. And, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Since we're on this fight topic and you mentioned GSP a few minutes ago, <clears throat> I know you've heard this too, but he, he had a really cool analogy about putting it all together, about balance. He said, he talked about the importance of skill and confidence. And he says, and this is for like competing, having all of the skill, but not having the confidence to put it together is like having a bank account full of money that you have no access to. Mm. And obviously the other way as well, if you don't have any skills, but you're full of confidence, right? I mean, what, what the hell are you going to do? But he said, you know, you need both. You need to be mm. skillful, but you need to be confident right. to show up and perform and put it together and believe in yourself. And it's just interesting how you could be the most skillful person and just not have confidence to, to compete or put it together. And right. you hear about that all the time of, you know, like these killers in the gym that could be world champions, but like they've, you know, they show up to a fight. They just can't show up on that day. Right. They just don't have the confidence or whatever it is. And it's just, it's just interesting, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I, going back to Logan Paul for whatever reason, it was, it was cool to hear this. Cause I, I do it sometimes too. Like I, I get super, like I've talked about a few times now, I get really inspired when I watch movies. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, the old X-Men the other day and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, but Logan Paul, before he fought Floyd Mayweather, he said he just went on a spree of watching like all like the gladiator movies, like any kind of movie that was like inspiring where it showed this like strong character. Um, it's like, you almost need that to build the confidence. Like sometimes you might doubt yourself, but then you see this inspiring moment. And so talking about skill and and confidence, like sometimes, yeah, you might be doubting yourself in a fight camp, but then you watch gladiator and you see the speeches and, or like in Troy, when the kids like, uh, Brad Pitt's about to fight that guy. And he's like, he's the, uh, this little boy says to Brad Pitt, he's like, he's the biggest man I've ever seen. And then Brad Pitt puts his helmet on. He's like, that's why no one will ever remember your name. And then I he just got, got the shivers, dude, dude. And it's like, man, it's like this yeah, kid is son. living in fear and he's saying this. And then like the guy in the movie was like, yeah, that's why no one's going to remember you. They'll remember me because I had the balls to go fight this giant. Jesus. And so like talk about confidence. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's inspiration, man. Yeah. You can take inspiration from many things, even if it's a, you know, a fable movie or yeah, whatever it is. For sure. Yeah. You can, Super you can be cool. inspired. I used to say this, you know, be inspired by the uninspiring. I you can have that. somebody or something that is very lethargic or uninspiring and you can choose to be like 
fuck that. I'm going in the opposite direction. Yeah. You just lit a fire up under my ass. So true. I, that's, that's actually something that I, I like, maybe not a mantra. I don't say it like every day or anything, but it's something that really stuck with me when you said that. Because mm-hmm. like you said, you really can get inspiration anywhere, even from the uninspiring. Yeah. You know, you just like observe them being like, I can't be that. Yeah. How can I not be that? I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's not like they're like this big, strong character and like, oh, so inspiring. I want to live like him. No, it's the opposite. But that can be inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you were looking at what, what's the 45. I know you were looking a little bit closely at um, you came over. We watched the Conor McGregor Poirier three fight on the weekend. I know you were looking closely at what happened to his his leg. Did, do you kind of know? Like, I, I've heard it was a bit of a training incident and then obviously in the fight with a few kicks yeah you know it seems like there was like a it was an accumulation of impact so mm-hmm. i think he hurt his uh um, shin bone a t- tibia um in training they got an mri on it um it didn't sound like there was any um for sure fractures in it but it was obviously jeopardized like they were looking at it in fight camp and then in the fight, there was multiple kicks, hard kicks that he was throwing. One in particular, I think, hit him kind of in the hip or upper thigh. And you could see his his foot just kind of looked a little bit off. Something happened there. But it didn't completely break then because he was still fighting fine. You know, jumping back and forth, throwing kicks still. And then the one that he threw right before he stepped down on it, he threw a front kick. Not a push kick, but a front kick and snapped it up. And that upwards trajectory... Um, a lot of people are saying it didn't land, but fuck, man, the angle I saw and the one that Rogan posted, it sure looks like it lands. Because, yeah, Dustin Poirier goes like this, and you see the front kick hit his, um, not quite his elbow, but on the thick part of the forearm there. And 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 then right when Connor put his leg back, that's when you see it get really jeopardized. He steps on it, throws across, and then it ended up breaking. So I think it was an accumulation of, of just impact yeah. on it. It's interesting how if he had that, you know, potential injury prior how much he was using his left leg mm-hmm. i mean that's a big tool of his yeah but you know that's the thing with fighting you're always injured yeah it's very rare that you go into a fight 100 percent. like yeah. i saw i was good i said yes to that fight and my uh, i could hardly throw a cross yeah and i still was like yeah i'll just protect it until the fight and you I've had it done that with my right hand as exactly. well exactly you had a fight where you didn't use your right hand all camp yeah and then you're like okay fight night i'm just gonna tape it up good and i'm gonna throw it and see what happens yeah so yeah like sometimes you hear like people be like oh like i had a sprained ankle or i had a this or that and i'm like yeah the other guy probably had the same fucking thing do you know what i heard today on a podcast from andrew huberman danny way before he jumped the great wall of china on a skateboard the day before he broke his ankle and there's proof of this <laughs> and the next day he jumped the Great Wall of China on a skateboard from a mega ramp three times on a broken ankle. He just taped it up, and I guess he's one of those guys that's like a savage type of dude. Mm. And I guess the week before, somebody died trying to dr- jump the Great Wall of China on a bike. <laughs> Some people are just made different. They're just made different. Yeah, I remember I always hear the there was a NBA uh, game seven, like the final game, and Michael Jordan had like a severe flu like very sick yeah. and I think he just took a bunch of like whatever Tylenol or something just to get him through the game but he ended up having like a record breaking game won the, the game winning yeah. shot on like a flu most people have been like oh I can't play like I'm sick dude did you watch The Last Dance on Netflix I did it was yeah it was on there like cause oh, he, okay. I guess you're talking Michael Jordan you said yep. I guess he ordered a pizza there's some conspiracy around this but he ordered a pizza the night before game 7 ah and it was from, I think it was like from the rival city's city, like a pizza Ooh, shop. risky business. And um, apparently one of the guys said when they delivered the pizza to Michael Jordan, he was standing there with Jordan when he opened the door. And when he like took the pizza, there was a, he just got a weird feeling that they were like, oh, like he's going to like take it. Like wow. it was, he felt like they were setting him up where they did something to the pizza. Huh. And then he had like food poisoning the next yeah. day, essentially. And he just cowboyed up and yeah. Like he had a terrible fever, like wow. talk about, um, <clears throat> that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. they're probably watching the game. Like, Hey, we got him sick. Like yeah. he's going to shit the bed. All of a sudden it's like fourth quarter. He just shoots the game winning fadeaway shot and wins. You're like, fuck. Dude. I remember before a jujitsu competition, the day before I woke up super sick like that dry, dry cough, like weak, shaky, like fever. And I was so pissed off, you know, like you work so hard. You're just, you're so excited to kind of get this thing out of the way. And 
you know, I remember like seesaw battling all day, like, should I just not go? Should I go? And, you know, ended up going and, um, you just kind of tough it out for the day. You know, yeah. you're like, I worked too hard for this. I- I'm going to have a shitty six hours, but I'm just going to like take a bunch of, you know, Tylenol and hunker down and just show up. And, and that was a day that was the most I've competed in one day. Cause I did gi and no gi. And part of me inside wanted to lose so I could just be done, but I kept just squeaking by matches and I was mm. like, fuck. So my first match was at like 12 PM on the Saturday and I was competing all afternoon. And I think my last match was at like 6 PM. So, you know, you're sweating, you're cooling off for 20 minutes and then you have another match right. You cool off for half an hour. You have another match. Get that cold shiver. Yeah. You know, and, and it was six and a half hours of this shit. But su- to my surprise, I started to feel better. Like mm. I woke up that day a little better than before i just had like a super deep sleep i had like earplugs in in the hotel and then yeah like exhausted myself that day and started to recover i was i thought it i thought it'd feel way worse after it but sometimes you just got to show up you know you almost like give your 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 brain the belief that maybe you're not so sick it's like you have a couple (laughs) matches and you're like okay like i got through that one almost you like forget like if you just laid on the couch all day you'd probably get more and more sick because your your body would just take on what your brain's thinking Instead, it's like you show up and you're like, I got to get through this. And then you just almost start, you act like an athlete and your brain's just like, we're not sick right now. You and know? again, one match at a time too. Don't think about the whole day. It's like, right. hey, I have a five, six minute match here. Yeah. Once that's done, what's next? You know, take it step by step. Man, that's such a huge thing. And I think jujitsu is great for this fighting, wrestling, um, yeah, martial arts in general. But um, you're constantly going to battle with your own mind of like wanting to give up, but also keep going. Like sometimes like in later rounds where, yeah, it's like, man, I've been in fights before. I'm like, man, I hope this guy just TKOs me. Like I'm so tired. Like I want out of here. But then the other part of your brain's like, no bitch, like fucking keep your hands up. You need to keep pushing. You know, it's like you'll lose a round because you, your, your other part of your brain was winning. It was like, nah, just chill, put your hands down, like Dude. relax a little third round you're like fucking let's go man like let's go you know so it's like kind of this fun little balance of like give up don't give up give up don't give up you learn a lot about yourself i've had the same thing competing in jiu-jitsu where i i was like i might die right now i'm so exhausted my i have such bad cotton mouth i am just overheating like i am about to die yeah i want to quit yeah and then you're like you can't you can't quit yeah and then you finish and maybe you win that match and you're like what how the fuck did i do this you know yeah and i remember the one guy in that one match i'm thinking of he's like man i was so exhausted and i looked up at you and you just looked fresh and i just like quit on myself then and i was thinking if only you knew how much i had given up right. on myself and how fucking tired i was right because I, I you were like a force to be reckoned with and i was like giving up you know and yeah that's a crazy thing hey it's like that's that's the power of a poker face Exactly. If you can put a good poker face on and you can convince the other person that you're fresh and you're moving and you're throwing feints when in your mind you're like, I hope this motherfucker is getting tired because I'm exhausted. There's a good quote about that. It's like at your weakest, like appear strong Mm, and at your strongest appear weak. Right. You know, it's like a war, mental warfare tactic. Yeah. It's really, really smart. Well, another reason I like it is for real life application. It's like if you are always training in that controlled environment and getting pushed so much and you're winning those internal battles then when you and i do a podcast and maybe it's like we get bad feedback or the numbers aren't doing that well we we could maybe push through it a little bit more because we're used to um having those internal battles of like oh we should just give up let's just not even do a podcast fuck this it's not it's not blown up right away we're not you know whatever but you just keep going you just keep putting the reps in and you keep pushing yeah you know for sure when i was listening to this andrew back to the connor fight when i was listening to this andrew huberman podcast on rogan he said you can measure winning and losing can determine your like testosterone levels Mm -hmm. isn't that interesting so he's like after the connor poirier fight you could have taken a blood test or something and like across the board poirier's testosterone levels would have been higher than Connor's. You know? That's fascinating for women too. He was yes, saying yes. like for like, you know, even if, um, yeah, not even just for fighting, but it's like, if you, if you, um, pass your university exam, like anytime you have yeah, like these little, win. yeah, like a win, it's like you get a little bump in testosterone. I'm like, that's interesting. So uh, the, the power of like maybe having like a cool little morning routine 
or something mm. where it's like early on you get little wins. Yes. It's like every day you can spike your testosterone or that good feeling, that feeling of proudness. It's weird how you could even increase testosterone from being on like a motorcycle or having a car that's like, you know, has a lot of horsepower mm. and a V8. It's right. proven it can increase your testosterone. Isn't that wild? It is. And, and, and like, I, I remember I used to always like, you know, when I was just a young shithead and I would just sleep in all the time and rush to work. It's like, that's probably not the best way to build confidence and testosterone. Mm-hmm. It's probably does the opposite. You're probably just flowing with estrogen on your way to work. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it was like a really long sleep. Cause that's good for hormones and testosterone right. like rest. But right. Right. Have you ever heard of loss aversion? No. In that book, thinking fast and slow by Daniel, whatever his last name is. Um, Pinkett, uh, Daniel common or Catman or something oh, okay. thinking fast and slow. He, and I, I heard about this in a, in a couple other recent books I've read, but there's something called loss aversion. I'll try not to butcher it, but it's like the pain we have from loss is greater than the equivalent of the feeling of pleasure we get from a win. Hmm. So for example, if I say, hey, I, I, I'm taking $1,000 from you, you or you lose a $1,000 bet, that hurts it just how the way we're wired. That is more painful then if you were to win or if I gave you a thousand dollars, then then the pleasure and the joy of that feeling right. is. So it makes sense from like a MMA perspective of if you win, like, of course, it's probably the greatest thing. Right. But like a loss, it's always going to hurt more. Comments online. You get a thousand positive comments and one bad one. Mm. And it's like your brain will like forget that you just had a thousand nice comments and it just focuses yeah. on the shitty one. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like just, I think it's because of our instinct to survive. Like we like losses, but it's like, we, we recognize them quick. Cause it's like back in the day, it's like, that was, you know, you, you needed to, you needed to survive. So anything that was like going to take away from that or put that in jeopardy, you're like, Oh, like get away from that animal or don't touch that berry. So I feel like we're hypersensitive to like loss mm-hmm. and things that yeah. jeopardize like our, our ability to um, like prolong ourselves and survive and thrive. So yeah, I wonder if that negativity is, is just kind of, yeah, hard not to focus on it. And it's interesting how using intelligence, people can manipulate these types of, of concepts. Like for example, after I learned about this, I was reading that, um, negotiation, negotiation book and great negotiators use these principles in the way they manipulate their conversation when they're in negotiation. So, Maybe they'll focus more on avoiding loss as they will mm. in like what you can gain from this uh, right, exchange. Right. Interesting. So it's like you Snakes know, working the on the psychology of people a little bit. It's, yeah. It's just interesting. Huh. But this was a fun episode. That was a good episode. <laughs> one, one last thing. I'm going to make a prediction that Jake Paul will eventually get Conor McGregor to fight him eventually yeah might be three four or five years i I think that's gonna happen they better do it quick because jake paul is i i feel like connor is losing stock and jake's is increasing do you know what i used to defend connor so much i you know i'm still a conor mcgregor fan but people would say oh he's an arrogant prick he's an ass and i'd be like you need to watch more of him he's truly humble he he was humble in defeat he, you could tell he had good humility. You could tell he was a good person, but he was smart. He was cocky. He was confident. But it's almost like his ego is so big now that he's lost that humbleness, that mm. humility that he used to have. Right. I mean, just look at the way he took that loss. You know, like he didn't take that loss. He wouldn't accept it. Right. But it, it's like his ego is so big now. It's like, geez, man. It's uh, somebody brought up the Ronda Rousey. Yeah. And they both kind of seem to be on the same path. Like what they did in the sport was phenomenal and legendary and nobody's ever done that before, both of them. But their rise to fame was so rapid that it's it'd be hard for your ego not to blow up and to just think you're the shit. And maybe you don't need to train quite as hard because you're doing this movie and that ad and working with this business and starting your own thing. And it's like you take on so much and become this star. And then the people that aren't there are just, they only care about winning the belt and fucking people up. Yeah. They're not in it for all that other shit. And so, yeah, I wonder if it's like, maybe they're a very similar downfall for them. Like Ronda Rousey, she, her rise at the top was phenomenal. And then she just started getting knocked out and just didn't stand a chance against the top of the competition. See, that's, 
that's one thing Khabib, I, I can't, maybe GSP, but that's one thing Khabib has managed. You know, like he, he has a lot of money. He has a lot of fame, maybe not in so much in North America, but yeah. apparently he drives like a Toyota still. He's like still humble. He's, you know, a grassroots kind of a guy. Like that would be very, very, very difficult to manage, especially yeah. in like North America. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. There's one other thing I was going to say about the Connor thing. Slipped my mind at the very end. Uh, fighting Jake Paul about how his stock's going down and Jake's going up. I don't know. It's gone. Yeah. I'll let it go. Okay. You got anything else? Let that moment pass. Yeah. I'm good, my man. This is a fun one. That was good. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, that was good. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Episode 19.